I'll wait for the exodus. Um, right, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Sometimes it's really hard work knowing what you're going to talk about. Um, and other times it's like, boom, yes, that's what I'm going to talk about. So I like when I prefer the latter because it's easier. Um, so I'm very excited because I know that I've got something um, that I've really need to share with you tonight and I'm excited about it. So um, the story that I'm going to sort of just introduce you to very briefly is the story where um, the children of Israel, who were a group of people, had been brought out of Egypt where they were slaves and things were awful and terrible for them and they'd been rescued miraculously by God, taken across a desert, provided for in all kinds of incredible unearthly ways. It was all very supernatural. And then it came to the point where they were at the threshold of entering in to the land of promise, to the place where they'd been heading for and the next bit of their journey and they were on the threshold of that. And um, Moses, their leader, felt inspired to send in um, 12, um, they're called spies, you're referred to as spies, but it wasn't like he said to go and spy, 12 representatives from each of the 12 tribes to, to go and have a nosy of what they were about to embark on, get a feel for it, um, for what was going to happen. So 12 of these guys go in. Um, and have a little nosy round. They all see the same things. They all experience the same things, but they don't all come to the same conclusions. So if I just read you just a few short verses, you'll get a sense of it. I found a great video clip today um, where it was sort of one of these uh, you know, epic presentations of it with all the sort of people dressed in Bible-type clothes, you know, where they all look like they're wearing cloth. Um, but it was a little bit naff. Um, and it was a little bit long. But it, sometimes when we read these stories, you forget that these are people. And so try and remember that these are people. This is not just a story. They're actually real-life people. They've come a difficult journey. They are tired. They are exhausted. They've been through some traumatic times. They haven't got any evidence yet that this is going to work out. So put the human head on, as well as just a sort of super spiritual, oh, it's easy for us looking back on it, head on. So this is the few verses. They presented themselves, these are the 12 people who went in, before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told the story of their trip. We went to the land to which, which you sent us, and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant, giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites hold the hill country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land. Now we can do it. But the others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. While we even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants came, oh look, I hate all these words. Um, alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. So what you've got 
is a bunch of people who see the same thing. And I mean, Joshua, another character, kind of goes with Caleb as well. So you've got 10 of them who says, this cannot be done. And two of them, who, as you read on, are the ones that actually say, no, hang on a minute. I'm seeing what you're seeing. But we concluding that on everything we've seen so far of this God we serve, of this God we've trusted, we think that we can overcome it. Now, I remembered this story this week. And it occurred to me that why are there some things that... Each of us see as problems, and we've heard about problems already tonight, and yet other people can look at those same things and not see a problem. So in my life, there's some stuff that I think that's a huge problem. Something needs to be done about that. And other people will be like, no, it's fine. Chill out. It's no problem at all. And yet there are other things that they really, really care about and think that is an absolute obstacle to everything that we could possibly be about to do. And yet I'm like, no, that that doesn't bother me at all. And don't you find that we're... Why can't we all just agree on everything? We don't, do we? Because our perception is very, very important. Now, how can I get an assessment and you get an assessment of whether those things that we see are actually problems or not a problem? And does it matter? And this is what I've been asking myself about this week. Because if we want to be sort of in tune, so to speak, and making the same sound as this um, God we serve, this God we're following, this God we believe in, um, I kind of think it's important that we kind of measure some of this stuff. And if there's some stuff that I'm supposed to chill out about, how do I know what I'm supposed to chill out about and what I'm supposed to care about? And these are very real questions. It can be very, very confusing. And the reason why I think it matters is because for these people, based on the conclusion they came to, they either ended up entering something, as two of them did, or they ended up not crossing that threshold for their life. And if you read on in the story, that is what happens. So I do genuinely believe there are times that come in life where actually it is very important for us to come to some conclusions about whether we're going to cross those thresholds and enter into something, um, and whether the giants are going to become bigger than what we've been promised. Now, is there any entering or exiting left to do when it comes to kingdom? Because many of our beliefs are not static anymore. We don't believe that everyone is excluded from access to God unless you say these words or do these things and keep saying these words and keep doing those things. We believe that there's actually treasure in the heart of every man. So in that sense, we have all entered in that sense and been brought in. However... I do believe that there are sometimes key moments in life where there are those threshold moments. I mean, I live in a world, so in that sense, I have entered the world, but I've never been to China or Australia or India, and I have not had reason to enter those places at this, up until this point in my life. But, you know, there may come times in my life where it becomes important for me to go to those places. So it doesn't mean to say that we're excluded from God when I talk about entering or not entering, but I do believe that there are times when we are at a threshold where we have to make some decisions. And there are times when I have to choose to enter something or by definition to choose not to. Now it is difficult to have dynamic faith if you're not moving because dynamic 
the Mo is a movement, isn't it? And where there's no movement, it is more likely that I will end up static in my life. So movement is compatible with dynamic faith, and a lack of movement in our lives is always going to be compatible with static belief. So in that sense, there's always going to be this call to be moving, growing in our faith, moving in the way we express ourselves, maturing into something. And in that sense, there will always be those thresholds to take on. Um, and as we set our heart on pilgrimage, as we're pioneering, there will be these times of, of distinctive movement. So where are we pilgriming, pil, pilgriming to? That's quite difficult to say. Now, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt as slaves. And they were heading to somewhere that would be their own. They weren't going to be slaves anymore. They were going to have their, their own land. And someone wasn't going to tell them anymore how many bricks they had to make and make life harder for them. And, and be, they weren't going to be at the mercy of the slave drivers anymore. Now, how do we know when a problem is a problem? And how come they'd left this situation that was very, very, very problematic on a promise that they were going somewhere new, and yet when that time came to enter the new thing, all they wanted to do was go back to the problem that they were so familiar with. Now, how did Jesus know when a problem was a problem? I thought, well, there's a good place to start, if I'm not sure. Um, now, did Jesus know when a problem was a problem because he was provided with a little manual, a little list of these are problems, these are not problems? I don't think he did. In fact, actually, he threw that kind of manual out the window, didn't he? And when you look at the life of Jesus, there are times when he looks at something in one moment and sees it as a problem, and then he looks at some, the same thing in another moment, and it's not a problem at all. Now, the examples I thought of, and you might be able to think of some more yourself, I was thinking about the turning over of the tables. There's a moment where he comes in and he sees everybody sort of trying to buy their way into God's good graces. And he got so mad about it that he turned over the tables and he, he, he went off on one. He wasn't very happy. Now, was that the only time ever in Jesus' life he'd ever been in the temple and ever seen that happening? And I thought, well, no, he must have walked past that site on more than one occasion. But on that moment in that day, it was something that had to be challenged and had to be addressed. So you couldn't say that in the rule book it was like, any time you see a table with someone telling something, you have to turn it over, Jesus. There was a moment where that came to the fore and had to be dealt with. And there were other moments, like, for example, he sells one guy to sell all he, ha um, sell all he has and give everything he owns to the poor. But was that the only rich man that Jesus ever came across? Surely there would have been other rich men that Jesus came across, and he didn't say to every, he didn't have his list of, oh, if you're rich, it's a problem. But everyone who was ever rich got, it, 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 there wasn't, there wasn't this common list of problems. There was a sense in which that was being measured in a, in a moment. Now, children are taught in school to be problem solvers. They're taught to be critical thinkers. In fact, if you don't give children problems to solve, and you'll all do it with your children and grandchildren, if you don't give Problem, um, children problems to solve. They never learn to, th to, to think critically. And we've already heard tonight, you're not being taught what to think, but how to think. To be able to think, we have to be able to solve um, problems. So in themselves, that's not a negative. And the problems in our life comes um, with around the giants that we see. Sorry, I've read that wrong. The problem comes in our lives, not around the giants we see, whether they are real giants or are perception of what is gigantic in our life, but it's around whether or not our hearts are going to enter in, 
whether our hearts are going to connect, whether our hearts are going to go there. Because for these 12 people, the two that somehow had the heart to keep hold of what it was they'd set off on this journey for, managed to enter in even though they had seen the same problems that the other people had seen. The problems were common. The attitude of heart was very, very different. And that's what determined whether they were able to enter in and cross that threshold or whether they actually ended up excluding themselves. Now, so often... I can think about my own life, and it will be true for you as well, that my problem has often not been my problem. My problem has been how I see my problem. And there were giants for all the 12, but for two of them, that problem was not going to be the thing that was the obstacle. And actually, they were right. Now, the fact that the 10 could not see past the problem to enter into what they'd been moving towards in the first place, that became a horrendous barrier. It slowed down the pace. I mean, there was a 40-odd years after that waiting for these people to cross into that threshold again. And we can be believing in theory for all these wonderful things over the years. And yet when the point comes where we have to cross the threshold and go there, it's all of a sudden like, oh, well, I didn't think it it would feel like this, and I didn't think it would be that hard, and I didn't think it would look like this, and I thought it was going to be a bit easier than I'd had planned. But it's at that point we still have to decide. And don't you get that? I get that. Um, I wanted some stuff when I was younger, and to some extent I've been reflecting recently that I got a lot of what I asked for. Um, but I have to say, I didn't think some of it would be so hard. Because you don't, do you? You believe for all sorts of things in your life and all sorts of opportunities. And yet when they arrive, um, there can be giants around those things that you have to decide what you believe about. Now, these people had not even been happy in the desert. So the people that didn't want to then cross over the threshold into what was next, they weren't even happy with what they actually had or what they had before, and they were always moaning, but yet they seemed to still want to stay with their static belief that they had acquired in the desert, because the thought of taking on something unknown was more scary than the idea that they were going to just stay with what they'd got and what they'd become accustomed to and adjusted to. And you know what? I get that as well. Because sometimes staying comfortable with what you've learnt to live with and how you've learnt to manage your life seems a heck of a lot easier than disrupting your life for an unknown, doesn't it? It does. Better the devil you know, that's the expression, isn't it? Now, I felt very impressed this week that sometimes we have to consider what we're going to enter into. And sometimes we have to make that decision to get into stuff despite problems that we may see. Because to not do that is going to cause us to wander around purposeless, directionless, and unnecessarily-less. I liked that word. So to not do it is going to be a problem. So for some of you, and I know that there will be things in your life right now that you think that is such a problem to me, but that does not mean to say that you shouldn't be entering into. And actually, if you don't enter into, it could actually have an incredibly detrimental effect on your life. Because it causes us to die in a place that we were not meant to to die in, and it also causes the Joshua's and Caleb's to have to wait a really, really long time. 
because we're in this together. Now, as soon as I sort of wrote down a place we were not meant to, I thought, what does we were not meant to mean? Because it kind of makes me think of, is there fixed times and places and things and all this idea that I'm meant to be this thing. But again, I thought, well, let's just keep it simple. Everything is permissible for me in my life. Everything is permissible, but not everything is going to benefit me. Not everything is going to bring me the same set of consequences because we can all make some ridiculously, monumentally stupid decisions in our life and we are free to do that. But it doesn't mean to say that the series of events that follow those are not the consequences. With, with sequence is what consequences mean. Those things are going to trigger a sequence. Now, we will still be loved, still accepted, still be forgiven, and heaven's voice will still declare over us, it is finished. But as has been clarified for me recently, um, being finished is a very great place to begin it's not like your end point, like, it's finished. It's a place to start and a great place to set out from. Because Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. He said to them, look, whatever needs to happen for you to be, um, for you to be able to follow someone like me, when really you're someone like you. All that's been sorted. So I don't need your credentials. I don't need your CV. I'm just saying, right, this is all finished now. Whatever separation there could ever be between someone like me and someone like you, between God and an ordinary person like you, all that's done. Now, come on, let's go. And there was a setting off that came from that finishedness. My friends passed her driving test, and she was about 35 when she passed the test, and it was a really massive deal for her. And she passed the test, and she was really chuffed, and now she never drives the car. She never drives the car. She never drives the car. And she says, it's all right, because if there was an emergency, I would be able to drive the car. And so... And it's that thing, if there's a finishness in our life, but we never drive anywhere with the finishness, we're a car in a garage. Now, there will never be a giant that can defeat what has been given to you, ever. And what has been given to you cannot be taken away for you, but we've got to now follow that investment, and we've got to now pay that forward and be part of a movement and be part of a revolution and enter in to what that investment um, becomes for the whole. Okay, now the time, I believe, is here when we're called to enter into the next bit. I do. I believe we're on a threshold. I believe we're on a tipping point. I believe that we're entering in. I'm absolutely, utterly convinced of it. And that time is here. Now, will there be problems where we need to go? Yes. But problems, remember, aren't problems don't have to be negative if we're problem solvers, do they? We give children problems. So the problems in themselves aren't a problem if we set about believing for some solutions. Now, will there be giants and will there be obstacles? And will it, if you see it with a certain spirit, look like a really, 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 really bad idea? Potentially. Because for those 10 that went in, it, was, it just looked like a really, 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 really bad idea. And if we learn, we have to sometimes learn from other people, don't we, in this journey? And like I say, remember that these are people. So does it mean to say that the things in your life that you think are a really, 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 really bad idea are all necessarily a bad idea? Maybe not. Don't now go out and do something really stupid. <laughs> but, 
Now, what it will depend on is whether we have a different spirit. And as you keep reading this story, Caleb is referred to, in particular in Numbers 14, as having, being of a different spirit. And when you look at information, when you see things that within every reference point that you've ever had up to this point in your life, screams like, you know, can't do this. Um, we've got to remember actually what that voice said when we set off. Did God help them get to where they were because he's like, well, I brought you this, this way to die. Let's set off out of Egypt and I'll get you so far and then we'll just die anyway. That's a great destination point. Did he leave, have them leave Egypt with a promise and a purpose for them? Did he provide for them? When he was providing for them in the desert, was it because he wanted them to stay there? As, and was that the permanent solution? Or was he providing for them on their way to something up until the point where the provision could be not this manna from heaven, but actually the milk and the honey and the fruit and all those other things? And actually, they forgot what it was they were believing for when they set out because they were tired and they were worn down and they got talking to each other and they got the rumors started and the things spread and they got afraid and instead of remembering the voice that took them there to begin with and all the things that had happened along the way, it became about the stories and what the majority thought. And it, all of a sudden, um, they wobbled because this wasn't the end of their story and it wasn't bigger than what had been promised to them. It just looked different to what they expected. And when things look different to what we set off expecting, that's when we can sometimes be like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not so sure, but that's when we have to ask the questions, listen to and remember what was originally said, and actually have some good conversation around that, not just assume giant equals let's not go. Now, I have done some stuff in my life that was a really, really bad idea based on every human reference point you could have ever imagined. But I, f I did them because I felt like I should do those things, and I can't help looking back at thinking some of those decisions were the best decisions I ever made, and some of the decisions where I didn't trust that voice from others or from me were some of the worst decisions I made. So I can't rationally look and think my best decisions were my best decisions and my worst... Do you know what I mean? Some, there is that voice that comes from outside of ourselves that calls us to enter in and do certain things that might be humanly daft, but it makes me wonder when I stopped trusting that voice in me, and it makes me want to trust that again, because that's what Caleb and Joshua did, and actually, um, that was important. In fact, it was critical, and I wish more of them had done it. Now, it's time, and it's time for us to enter in, and the massive key point is that we cannot go with the majority. It is not a democratic shouldn't have been democratic society like that. Everyone had their say, and, you know, let's everyone have a vote, and what everybody thinks, that's what we'll go with. There were two of them, two of them that thought this was a good idea. That's 17%. 17! That makes it sound smaller than two, doesn't it? 17% thought it was a good idea. Would you have gone on those odds? If 83% thought it was a bad idea... Let's be honest, what would most of us do? As soon as we get a feel that 83% are against something, we're like, well, this mustn't be all right then. Because most people think this, and most people are seeing it like this, and most people have come to that conclusion. So if most people think it, well, that must be right then. Not in here it wasn't. In fact, 17% were the ones who had remembered what it was that they'd set off to do in the first place. Would you take those odds? Would you take those odds? It looks stupid, doesn't it? 
and look stupid. 83% um, said that this cannot be done. They did not want to go there, and they said so. And to keep your spirit when those are your odds is not easy. It is not easy. Um, but those two men did it. And somehow or other, they managed to, to look around and say, yeah, the odds are all right, the odds aren't in my favour here, but I know, I know where it is that I've been called to go. Now, why does God work in these incredible odds? Why can't he just give us a majority? Um, and the, again, I think that's to do with having to have dynamic faith, because if you could see it, and there was no faith required, faith sight, if you can see it, there's no faith required. So that's why it's very difficult for some people to, for all of us, to believe when we can't see it. So what we do is we think, right, well, I'll wait till it looks okay. I'll wait till it feels okay. I'll wait till the majority of people think it's okay, and then we'll do it. How is that faith? How is that faith? Because you can see then, it's, you, the odds are stacked in your favor. It's pretty much going to work. Now, Abraham and Sarah were in their 90s. And God said, I'm going to use this 90-year-old couple to birth an incredible promise that will last for generations. I mean, those odds, are, those odds are not good odds. Moses was a guy that couldn't speak, and yet he was going to be the man to step up and lead these people out. Gideon was a guy who was also terrified, and yet with 300 men, he was going to take down a great army. You've got David, who's a tiny shepherd boy of the family, fairly insignificant, out in a field. It says the others were head and shoulders above him, the odds were, they'd have been the bookies' favourites to win, and David would have been like, all the way down the list. Um, and yet, David's the one that's chosen. I mean, the odds of those disciples being anywhere near capable of spreading the message of the kingdom, they were not good odds. I mean, look at Peter. Would you bet on, him? Would you bet on Peter to build your church, and yet Jesus takes those odds, doesn't he? He sees something, he takes those odds. So it made me wonder, what, what are our odds? What are our odds? What's your odds? And what's mine? And what's that person that we want to write off? What are our odds? Are they down in the 17%? If you base stuff on what you could see, are they down in the 70%? And so do we come to the conclusion, all right, no, the odds aren't, our, the odds aren't in our favour. This isn't going to happen. This is a silly idea. Let's just do this, 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 and this. Let's go back to where we were, put some stuff in place, make the people all happy again, and then that'll be all right. Is that what we do when the odds are against us? Or are we the 17% that say, okay, I remember what we've told. I remember where I'm going. I remember where I've been, and I'm never going back, never going back to the way it was. So I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward. And there may be problems, but I'm a problem solver. And I've got the person who knows where I'm heading um, going in there with me. I like those odds. I, I think those odds sound good. Now, I want to be in the 17% team. Now, I am not daft. I'm not daft. I see giants, and I see them sometimes, and they stop me entering in. They do, and sometimes they make me want to stay in the desert and accept that I'm fine here, because I could probably, the way I've discovered how to do my life, I could do my life like this for the rest of my life, because I've found brilliant ways to cope. I've found brilliant ways to be successful at certain things that make me feel good. I've found ways to cope with certain things where I don't feel good. I've kind of got it buttoned down, but... But if I do that, what if it still becomes a corner of a desert where I sit unnecessarily waiting for something that has already been finished in my life and I've just got to put my keys in the ignition and just go somewhere? I don't want to sit in a corner of a desert because I've got comfy there. 
Just because you've got comfy in the desert and you found some provision in the desert, I don't want to stay in the desert because I, wasn't he- I didn't set off on my life to go to the desert. I set off to go somewhere else. So just because we get comfortable somewhere, just because somewhere feels good, just because we've got to the point where it's like, quite like it here. We've got a nice little thing going over you in your tent over there, me and my tent over here, you know. Just because it's all right there, that doesn't mean to say that when the time comes for us to go somewhere else, we shouldn't go. Um, And we are heading somewhere on pilgrimage and we are entering in. And we don't know all that this looks like any more than the biblical characters we read about knew what it looked like. They didn't know either. But it is time. And I know that it's time. And can you all see that tonight with a different spirit? And will you see that it's time? Or will the voice of the majority, and perhaps that majority voice for you, is the majority of things you have ever heard? Perhaps 83% of your life you have heard one thing, and you've only been hearing something new for 17% of your life. So all that 83% of, yeah, but what about all this I've always been told here, and all this that has always been in my head, and you've only had 17% of the new bit, but will you take those odds? Will you take those odds? Um, Some of you as well have perhaps done... 83% of your life. Perhaps 83% of your life is is done. And perhaps you've only got 17% of your life left. I'm not deliberately not looking at anybody when I say this. Perhaps you've only got 17%. I'm not looking at anybody. I did not think of a person when I thought of this point. Perhaps you've only got 17% of your life left. But does that count you out? Well, not on these odds, it doesn't. Not on these odds, it doesn't. Because um, there are beginnings for you. And if, if, if it is finished in my life, then the question I was asking myself this week is, right, okay, so it's finished. So where are my beginnings? <gasps> if it's finished, where are my beginnings? Where is the door opening? Where am I entering in? And where are your beginnings tonight? Because we know it's finished so where are your beginnings? Where are doors opening? Where are you having opportunities to enter into things? Because perhaps these are really stupid odds. And perhaps, I sometimes feel like I know less now than I've ever known. But, and perhaps, you know, I've put here, perhaps I feel very bruised at times and like I walk with a limp from where things broke and have changed me. But I am going to take the odds on my life. I am going to take the odds on my life having potential in every moment to be part of that kingdom of hope and faith and love. I'm going to take the odds on my life. I'm going to take the odds on the people here. I'm going to take the odds on on us. I'm going to take the odds on all the people. That I'm going to take those odds. I'm going to take those odds. And I, I know it's time, and I know it's time we've got to decide, do you know what? We're going to take those odds because on everything we have experienced up to this point and everything we know of the heart of Father God who's had us on this journey, he has not sent us here to die. He sent us here to bring us to a threshold that we're now going to enter in. And I want to encourage you tonight to take these odds. Even if for you it's 17% of what you understand, 17% of what you see, 17% of what you've experienced, I want you to take those odds. I want you to take those odds and to have that different spirit. And I think it's really important that be nice to, for, for us all to take the odds and be more than 17% who want to enter in, I think. But if it's only 17%, then we'll take those odds. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like in your life, but I do know it's important. So that, that's me done. Would you like to...